They've gone for chartreuse. So I'm thinking Osters, Elibors, Zinnia. Usually as enthusiastic as a seagull on a sausage roll, but today. Oh, sorry, George. I'm just a bit distracted, that's all. I've had a bit of a shock. Nothing awful, I hope. Well, it's a bit of a saga. I'm listening. Welcome to episode 124 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast expecting more from Todd in his opening weeks and continually running up and down the stairs telling his mum that every idea she had would surely lead to his death of being scared of a body that's an unfortunate cross between Albert Stepdown Barry Chuckle and Gavin. And I'm spooky. Do you know, that was take six of that intro. And I nailed it that time. Good. Oh. You don't agree? No, no. I do agree. That's why I said good. Oh, no. I just I thought if you'd agreed, you'd say I agree. You're spooky. <laughs> it's it's not even Halloween. Yes, but this was the week that I finally got the uh, Halloween decorations out uh, in the yard. Yeah, and, and, you did. and and lit up and everything, and it it was great because it always makes me feel good. I always love doing it. I really love Halloween, but this year especially, it just we're we're probably not going to have you know, trick-or-treaters or, you know, as many events as we typically do on the day. But just putting the decorations out just kind of makes it kind of feel like a a normal, regular year. And it seems like our neighbors agree because they have uh, both complimented them, the ones that, that face it, you know, Janet and, and Marilyn. Marilyn was like, it's it's nice to see when you can't do something yourself, and that just made me a little teary when she when she said that to me. So that's that's nice. And I've heard while I was putting it out, there was a a family with some some kids walking by, and I overheard them talking about it and complimenting it as well. So you know, it's it's the little things that help you get through a a year like twenty twenty. I think. I think I need different little things. Yeah, we all need different little things. Mm-hmm. I need to figure out what those little things are. Yeah. It's helpful. Because mm-hmm. it isn't Halloween lights. <laughs> no. They kind of annoy me. And it's not even it's not even me forcing you to dress up for Halloween, which I will might not be doing this year. I do not enjoy that. No. One little bit. No. Sam, I am. <laughs> I do enjoy doing it. <laughs> like last year, you were Ant-Man. The year before I was Susan Boyle. <laughs> you were Hagrid. Same thing. <laughs> you were Hagrid and I was Professor McGonagall and Benny was Harry and Stelly was Hermione. I don't remember him being Benny at all. And Dobby. Harry, rather. And Dobby was Dobby. I yeah, have a vague even... memory of that because I have a vague memory of Dobby trying to attack a friend's dog <laughs> and then we threw him back in the house. Yeah, we put like a little lightning thing and he wore a... He wore a pair of glasses that I found in the little free library <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like a couple months before that and everything. I took the lenses out and everything. And uh, yeah, the kids were in there 
in their robes and had their wands that we got them at um, Universal. They're ridiculously expensive wands. Oh, they were 50 bucks a pop, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And they were kind of already boring five minutes out of the box. Right. And the only place that they work is at Universal. (laughs) Right. They see you coming. They do. You know, they're like, well, you stood in line for five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour to get into the shop to watch the wand demonstration with the old guy who didn't pick your kids. (laughs) So your kids are, you know, kind of bummed that they didn't get picked. So you got to buy them a wand now. <laughs> I thought they bought their wand with their own money. Because I remember giving them all a hundred bucks to Because I'm the last of the big spenders. Yeah. I think I think Nick used his own money. But I think the, the littles needed help. With with theirs. Hmm. So. Because I think Nick just bought a generic one. But Stelly wanted Hermione's <laughs> a wand. A generic one. A stick. <laughs> Because the ones that were specifically for specific characters were more expensive. They were like 60 bucks. <laughs> they are just sticks. And they're not even wooden sticks. They're no, plastic, they're plastic sticks. sticks. But they are shaped like, like the characters' wands. And they do, you know, when you're so at the that, park. So is that branch that's <laughs> sticking out of that tree there. When you're at the park, you can go to like the different windows and you do different incantations and it makes things in the windows lift up. And stuff. And I don't think we could ever get that to work, though, could we? And that's kind of cool. We got it to work a few times. A few times. But even that, yeah, because you have to be very specific in the way that you wave your wand over the window. And for kids who were at the time, what, seven and eight? No. That wasn't that long ago. It was. Nick's been out of high school for. Two it years. Was, it was four years ago. It was five years ago. It wasn't five years ago. Because no way in the world that we could afford that five years ago. It was four years ago. No. Well, when did we go to Texas? Three years ago. If we went to Texas three S- years ago, then S- we went stick to with DC. Us listeners. We'll, we will get to Coronation <laughs> Street. If we went, no, no, it's five years. Because if Texas was three years, DC was four years. Then, then Texas Florida. was two then. <laughs> just changing things. Well, because I know that it was after my mum died and that was five years ago. Okay. Okay. It was the spring after that, so it had to be in, in 2016 because she died in 2015. Still, so they was were, four years ago. you know, they were kids and it's it's not always good. And, and there's like a million other people crowded around these windows trying to do the same thing. So, and you have to wave your wand around so you're like almost hitting other people. It's just... It is the biggest scam ever, Universal and those Harry Potter ones. Expensive sticks that are practically impossible to use, but just in one location on the planet. Yeah. Biggest scam in the world. What's not to love about that? Well, maybe two, because they have it in California as well. Oh, they'll probably be site-specific, probably. <laughs> who's going to take Who's going to take your stick 3,000 miles across country just to wave it in a different window? <laughs> You need locked up if you're thinking about doing that. Oh, but at least Ellie then got that giant dinosaur. Well, she won that. Yeah, she won that. So that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Kind of compensated for the expensive stick in the same park. Yeah. <laughs> Still, a better day than Disney World. Uh, yeah. Controversial. I think we. I think we've covered that, haven't we? Did we talk about that like two weeks ago? Yeah, I think I cut it out because it was. <laughs> 
It was like 10 minutes on why Disneyland is shit. <laughs> Disney World. Or Disney in general. Yeah, I think I cut that out. <laughs> you missed a very interesting discussion, listeners. But you, anyway. You, you missed a long discussion, let's, let's be honest. <coughs> Where I talk about how we can never go to the Hall of Presidents again. No, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> Let's not reprise it. It got cut for a reason. Uh, oh, we're going to skip them a week. Okay. Shall we preamble, my dear? No, 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 no. How was your week? It was good. I'm enjoying my new computer. It's lightning quick. Yeah. Sucks up all the Wi Fi in the house. Finally. Finally, I get my revenge. Yes. In the meantime, the kids can't get into their Zoom meetings. They can't, though. It doesn't use any more than. than Anything else in the house, and there's plenty of bandwidth. Seven screens. Only one of them is actually doing anything, though. At the moment. Mm-hmm. No. No, that's the, the laptop isn't on the internet at the moment. Fancy. So, yeah, it used to be when I was dragging uh, audio files from the sound card that's in the digital recorder onto the Mac, it could take. Five minutes, twenty minutes, half an hour to get to get it into Audacity, and it now does it in maybe three or four seconds. So I'm very, very pleased with this. It's going to save me a huge amount of time mm-hmm. later on today and Yay. tomorrow when I'm doing SpongeBob again. Yay! And poetry in the bar. We're recording that. We reco- oh, we're just yeah, we're just recording that. Not editing it tomorrow. Yeah, we we'll do the interview tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we still haven't done common language <laughs> since May. <laughs> We will get to it. We got, we, got a very, I done my notes yet. We, we got a very nice message from someone about how much they've enjoyed it. So it's really kind of kicked our ass into we really need to get this done. Temporarily did it. It's. Anyway, let's pre up on my dear. Yes, please. Give us some of that neglected Corey news. In Bartholomew, triple threat. What? The Tim's Dad actor has released a single, This Time It's Forever, to help raise money for Women's Aid, a domestic abuse charity. The production was a family affair as Ian's wife, Love Day Ingram, directed the music video. More information can be found at justgiving.com slash campaign slash this time it's forever. Is this the same thing that Nancy Attie does on, on Twitter? I have no idea. I think she did. Oh, shit. Atty does for something that was gone by the time I got there, but I think it was to do with him well, and some still, charity thing. You can still see the video on um, that website that I just talked about. I think it's also on uh, Metro did an article about it. So he's a pretty good singer. Is he? Yeah. Who knew? I would not imagine that. It's in, no offense, but. Yeah, it's him and he's singing and he's playing the piano at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. That'll be the triple threat that you mentioned then. Yes. I was thinking, what are three things? I don't know. I don't know if he can. So he can sing, he can act, he can play piano. We haven't seen whether or not he can dance. Maybe he'll be on uh, Strictly next. Hmm. Hmm. And then we'll see he can dance. Would that make him a quadruple threat? (laughs) I'm not sure what a triple threat refers to. A triple threat tends to be, you know, Broadway lingo for somebody who can sing, dance, and act. I just threw in playing the, the piano, piano because that's, that's a thing. what I saw him doing. Michael Lavelle, a.k.a. Arkev, has settled a phone hacking claim against newsgroup newspapers who allegedly hacked into his voicemail. 
The Cory actor accepted an undisclosed offer from NGN for damages and legal fees. Wonder why they went after him. I think it had to do with that uh, allegation of sexual assault. Yeah. Right. Because they went after Steve Coogan because they were interested to know who he was shagging at the time. Which, why? And they went after Millie Dowler, who'd been killed. Uh, and they deleted some of her voice messages. So Which that is horrible. Some new voice messages would be able to come in because her mailbox was full. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. And it's tampering with police evidence. Mm-hmm. It's curious why they would... Yeah, well, I suppose... Oh, They're horrible people. Imagine waking up in the morning thinking, I wonder whose voicemail I'm going to hack today. Yeah. It's just part Illegally. of my job. And then sleep quite soundly. Yeah. That night. Yeah. Hmm. Scum. Subhuman scum. Yes. It's a good thing that they've pretty much gone out of business and are bankrupt. Well, the, the, the Phoenix company, I think, is still doing quite well. Mm. People still buy the sun for some reason. Mm. I don't know why. Yeah. Don't click on the sun. No, nope, don't, don't do it. Don't follow any links to the don't sun. Do it. Don't buy the sun. I don't use them for Corey news, Clean ever. Me. Finally, some Izzy news. As Corey actor Shirley Houston has teamed up with charity Sita to create a short film, When the Wheels Come Off. The drama explores the isolation those with disabilities have experienced during lockdown. So there you go. That's where Izzy is. I know you were asking about her last week. Yes. And I? that's Corey news. I don't remember asking about him. Yeah. Same. We haven't seen Izzy in a while. Remember? Yeah. Again, I think that was more statement than question. Yeah. Anyway. That's Corey News. It is Corey News. It's all about people who are actually in Corey. Still. And not people who are no longer in Corey. The hints have finally had an effect. Well, fortunately, this week, it panned out that way. Oh, so it's just good luck rather than good judgment. Yeah, sometimes it's Sweet. just sometimes it's just sin on the ground and you get desperate. And Lucy Fallon seems to. Post I just don't, all I the don't time. care about Lucy Fallon. <gasps> I really don't care. I'm Shame. sorry. She's not the show anymore. Shame. She's still a person. And when I do my <laughs> Lucy Fallon podcast, I will be one hundred percent invested in that. And she may come back. It's not like she's a character that died. And at that point, I'll become interested again vaguely. <laughs> But at the moment, I don't really care. Our mailbag. Chloe from Nova Scotia got in touch to say, how come mailbag doesn't get its own music? Aw. <laughs> Which is something that I've thought about in the past. Hmm. What would our mailbag music be? Maybe we could do something like Blue's Clues. I don't know what that is. Here's the mail, it never fails. It no. makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, no. I want to wail. Mail! Just like that. And we could have like an animatronic mailbag who comes in and, and you know, says, here's the mail, Gav. Rawr. And opens its mouth and says, Rawr, when it opens its mouth, which is like the door to the mail, the mailbox. And it can have like a crazy 1930s gangster voice. Hey, I don't know. It's <coughs> it, it's something that I have noticed that every other segment has its own little sting of either music or a, or some kind of distorted audio in some way or another. Yeah, you tend to do that post production though. Apart from the last week, tonight, tonight, or last year tonight. Yes, 
which yeah, is recorded as live. Um, and so I have to say welcome, welcome, welcome every week. You don't have to. <laughs> and yeah, uh, because we have like a long period after uh, last year tonight until moment of the week where there is no sting or no other music of any nature. I wondered about doing a little thing between storylines just to break up ours, but... Meh. <laughs> I mean, that's all <laughs> what... It's, it's all one huge segment talking about what happened this week. I suppose we could have like some... Well, breaks in the stories. What's happened this week? No. 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 We don't get to use our music very much because we don't have as much hindsight corner as we used to. No. We either get more things right or we stop checking. And then people stop telling us that we got things wrong. People still tell us when we get things wrong, though, yeah. which I, I do enjoy. Do you? Yeah. Because <laughs> it gives me something to write about for hindsight corner. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of which, here's hindsight corner. A blue, 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 blue. We called the alternate Garfield comic strip Garfield without Garfield. It's Garfield minus Garfield. But I think if you still Google Garfield without Garfield, you'll get you'll to it. You'll still get to it, yes. And then we got some clarification over the relationship between Craig and Faye that confirmed that they were close friends, but there was nothing that Romantic. anyone said that suggested they were compatible romantically. No. And everybody's friends on the street. That's not... Except for people who are deadly enemies. Right, so apart from all those people who hate each other, everybody loves each other. Right. Or they don't mind each other. Right, yeah. They're friendly. Very I mean, much that's what living in a neighbourhood is all about. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Naked Twister. This was Sinead's suggestion during a picnic in the community garden, which involved Kirk getting his dangly bits out, but thankfully... That didn't happen. It didn't come to that. <coughs> I was Gavin and you were glad to see me, can you believe it? I was back from Orlando the day before. I know, that's one good thing about 2020 is that you didn't go away this year. I got asked a few months ago what my plans were for conferences this year, and I said, I am not getting on a plane ever this year. Who's having live in-person conferences? I don't conferences? think anybody is anyway. No. It's I think all the Tableau one was free this year, but remote. But yeah, it was remote and mm-hmm. free. And that didn't bother me. Who, who, can, who can be bothered? Right. <laughs> Tim's fucking dad wakes up on Wednesday and decides to make a grab for half of the speed dial, much to Alia's disgust. Remember that? He just woke mm-hmm. up one morning and thought, let's get half of that. Yeah. A mishap at Weddy County's turnstile ends in Chesney's living room, filling up with boxes of nappies and Bernie revealing herself to be a PR guru. Shona might need to wait 12 months for that Mother of the Year award and an old face at the jail makes David think that a riot might not be that bad an idea after all. God, David was in jail last year. Oh yeah, because he was going around beating people up because he was sad. Was that what it was for? Yes. Remember? He was doing this like weird fight club thing. No, that was that was earlier this year. He was doing shake club. It started last year though, didn't it? Because no, that was a different thing. Oh no, that's right. Because she hadn't been shot yet. No, he was in jail because of uh, stealing his grand's money. That's right. 
Yeah. That's right. He gets put in jail and Nick does not, mm-hmm. which is still unfair. That was a year ago that the the riot happened. Or round about. <gasps> oh, I remember. What was it? Was It It was a How I Met Your Mother DVD. Season was one. part of mm-hmm. the riot. That was hilarious. Right. That was like the funniest bit of the show. Ali confides in Toya. Dev struggles with raising a teenage daughter. Craig and James are going running together. Right. And this is when I first started saying they should make Craig gay. Mm. And the world may just need to go on without knowing what Bethany thinks happens in a New York ad agency. And yet we've never seen Craig and James actually run together. We've seen other characters run and or walk together and exercise together. Well, this is just one in a line of people who have never been seen running with Craig. Because I'm going to add to that list Imran and I'm also going to add to that list David. We know that Imran has, though, because remember they they go into um, Roy's for a role after they're running, and Imran says, "I just remembered how much I hated running after yeah. running with Craig." Yeah, but my point is that they we do don't it once and then they it. never do yeah. it again, right? Because Imran remembers how much he hates it and, and wants to fuck off and go watch a movie. So why did da- back when you could watch movies? So why did David never do it again? I don't know because David just David has like sinkhole in his backyard which apparently he's responsible for fixing (laughs) and no seismic experts have been out at all or federal government agents so why did james never do it again i don't know we don't we rarely see james anymore which is once once he finally came out as gay now we never see him and we should see him more that's fine. We should see all of the Baileys more. It's like, if it's not their storyline, they should still be in the picture somewhere. You know? As as the only black family on the street. They should be used more. They haven't been used well. No, they really haven't. And they've been in it for, more, obviously, more than a year now. Yeah, and it was like, burr, 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 the very first ever black family living on the street. Aren't we great? Aggie's the best one, let's face it. Probably then Michael. Eh. I kind of like Michael. I I like James too. Ed has... uh, His moments. I was going to say one gear. (laughs) But I generally quite enjoy him. Mm -hmm. James is just a nothing burger. Oh, no. He's a gay soccer player. He's a gay nothing burger. He's a gay soccer player. He's not gay. No, he's come out. He's officially gay now. And it's okay. All of his friends, all of his mates on the team have rallied around him. Apart from that one guy. Apart from that one guy that everybody else bullied into <laughs> Conforming, him. yes. You will think like us. Which is good because the way he was thinking was wrong. Mm-hmm. Let's let's be honest. Yeah. I don't know. I just... I want the Baileys used more. Well, they need a decent reason to use them and a decent storyline... But even even when it's not, I mean, so many characters are just, even when it's not their storyline, they're incidentals, they're in the pub, they're walking a boot, you know, some of these scenes where somebody just has to say something or, or be a foil for something. Not everyone can be Nina. Nina hasn't, Nina hasn't had a story. I know, but at least she's being used. Long, but... 
I thought and she used was, well in everybody else's storyline. She was one of the highlights this week. Mm-hmm. One of the rare highlights this week was Nina's reaction to other people. We're in the hospital all the time. Why can't Aggie be there? Just every once in a while, just checking in. Because remember in the beginning of this whole Oliver thing, she did check in and she was very supportive and loving. To, to the point of being a little creepy. Well, you found her creepy. I found her a little creepy. Anyway, our moment of the week was Naked Twister because we're still in last year tonight territory. Yeah. <laughs> and boring moment of the week was Craig jogging with James. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Uh, heavy going this week, I thought. Friday in particular was, again, not a highlight. Mm. I found an an awful lot of it quite juvenile. And I think some of it was meant to be funny. Some of it was funny, or some of it I chose to find funny, whether it was meant to be funny or not. I don't don't think it represented people's best work. I rolled my eyes an awful lot, (laughs) especially on Friday. Let's start with rehoming Shona on oh. Monday. <sighs> it's just—it's basically just the same shit on a different week, isn't it? Yep. On Monday, it's the middle of the night, and David is sleeping on the couch when Shona comes in and turns on the TV loudly. She wants him to join her in bed, but he wants to take things slowly. He says she says it's like being back for the hundredth time. I oh, know. David tries to get back to sleep, but the kids are awake now. So David has decided that he really should be or doing something about it. a recording the of the kids in the background are awake now. Right. Or, or Ben but Price. Thanks in the once back- again to Ben Price for providing the... <laughs> for shouting and, and talking in Max and Lily's voices in the background. He's kind of like the Mike Patton. Uh, Mike Patton and the... What was it? I Legend? The uh, Will Smith movie? I haven't watched that all the way through. I haven't watched any of it. But the person who produces the the noises for the creatures mm-hmm. ben price no it's not it's mike payton from uh, faith no more who does all the noises. oh i thought it was the guy from police academy no he's only very good at doing the, the sound of a chopper and did i tell you about the thing that he was on uh breakfast tv in the uk i think it was the big breakfast on channel four and he was the, on the police academy guy, mm-hmm. Michael Pat. Michael Winton, I think his name. I think his name was. And they were taking, they were taking calls from the public to suggest things for him to do impressions of. Mm-hmm. And all the calls were just like the crappest things. Like somebody asked for him to do uh, a pencil writing on paper. <laughs> so he went. Michael Winslow. Winslow, I was close. Michael Leslie Winslow. I was close. Anyway, David has decided that he really should be doing something about the sinkhole, especially as he's planning on having an 80th birthday party for his, for Audrey in the garden and is worried that either she or Gail will get pissed and fall in. He's recounting all this to Shona as he phones around companies for home improvement loans and as he's doing this, so he catches even... Shona trying to take Max's medication instead of, her own, instead of her own and it's not even time for her to take her meds. So they don't even have barriers around that thing? Nobody's put like plywood boards and some rocks or something over. <laughs> no. It's just there. Uh-huh. Nobody's done anything. It's been there for a month. Nobody has called the government. No. Or or anybody. Or scientists. At least we're addressing it now. At least it's getting mentioned. Yeah, but for it's. For weeks it wasn't even getting any. It's still being mentioned as if it's something that David is supposed to take care of. 
when it's it's the planet <laughs> and the earth mm. i still don't understand how that guy was supposedly able to cause a sinkhole yeah we've kind of skated over that yeah i the whole so anyway. I'm I'm just disappointed that people haven't started coming over and, and throwing stuff into it. A la your book. What a great way to get rid of your garbage. Right. And you just could do it, it in like in the middle of the night and David wouldn't even know. Right. I bet somebody has been doing that. So David is on the phone to the um the loan company as he's arguing with Sean about her meds, and he seems to get some sympathy from the call handler. Roy's visiting David, who explains that it's like living with a toddler. She doesn't have any thought or consequences. They compare notes, and Roy explains that, like a toddler, she tires herself out, by which point Roy predicts that David will also need an afternoon nap, and Roy advises one day at a time. Mm-hmm. has given Lily a bath and is now decorating Gail's cake with cheesy poofs. <laughs> Were that to be the only thing wrong with the cake? David calls it ten types of wrong. Let's get this mess sorted out, he says. You think this is a mess? Wait till you check out the bathroom, says Shona. In a very cheerful voice. And later, David has tidied up and shown it as out like a light on the sofa. Mm-hmm. So Roy was right about the naps. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, Gail is having bother blowing up balloons for Audrey's delayed party. She wonders if she should invite little Sam. So that's the only mention that Sam gets this week. Yes. David and Shona are less than impressed by the guest list. Nick won't be attending because hospital, and Shona is left at Roy's Rolls to be babysat. Later, Roy comes into Roy's roles and asks where Shona is, and Nina realises that she'd been sitting with some builders and now they're all gone. And it looks like Shona has invited them all to number eight, and they've got wired into the booze and nibbles that's been prepared for uh, Audrey's party. Then David arrives. What's all this? Shona told the boys in the calf that uh, there was plenty to go around. You have no fucking laugh, says David. Then a builder mistakes Gail for 80-year-old Audrey. I know, that was hilarious. Mm-hmm. So inside, Shona doesn't know why David threw everyone out. David says she can't invite strangers into their house and Shona insists that she didn't cop off with anyone and Gail says the night is young. Gail calls off the party, everything's ruined and David grabs a bottle of wine and leaves at the back door. If anyone needs me, I'll be down in my sinkhole. <laughs> so it's quite literally become a man cave. <laughs> yep. He went down into his sinkhole. Well, to- he can't possibly have really gone down into the sinkhole. Could he have? Well, Gary goes down at... Later on in the week, in fact. Right, but to inspect it and stuff, not drinking. If you can go, if the rule is, if you can go down to inspect, you can go down to drink. Fine. Uh, so David and Gail are chatting <laughs> about Shona, who now realises that she shouldn't have invited the builder people, and David tells her not to worry about it. On Friday, Shona has made breakfast. Cake, crisps, and fizzy orange, and eggs. I don't know how much more of this wacky Shona I can take. I'm, I think I'm at my limit. This has annoyed me for a while. It was particularly annoying this week, and it gets more annoying as to we go. To be fair, on. that sounds like a typical American breakfast. <laughs> That's true. Just need some because sausage thrown in there. According, according to, uh, according to the Supreme Court of Ireland, our bread is cake. Yeah. She's not sure why David is still angry about the gate crashers that she invited over yesterday and David gets a call from Aaron who is claiming to be too sick to come over but is as sick of Shona as the rest of us probably. And this means Shona needs to spend a day with David at the barbers again. Remember what happened the last time she was there. Well, that was the salon. So at least Bertie isn't going to get doused with... Bertie? Bernie. There you go. Isn't going to get doused with juice this time. 
The morning at the barbers has been uneventful and they're just about to close up for lunch when a hipster shows up. Oh, God. Oh, God. This is... This is this is this is where I almost turned the whole thing off. Coronation Street seems to think it's now a sitcom with wacky two-dimensional characters playing archetypes, which is not this is not the first time they've done this cuz remember nerdy guy who can build a website who gets intimidated by Tracy. Mm-hmm. And um the the social worker last week who was very two-dimensional and seemed to be the comic relief in a scene about a child's death. Miller the Mediator. Yes. So they do this. They drop these characters in here every once in a while and it just... This one was the most cartoonish of all. He has a man bun 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 and no socks. To the Jesus shirt, to the way he talks. And we're... we're, this, This... male model actor supposedly just wanders in off the street. The director said to him, read these lines as if you're a twat. Okay, okay. I can do that. <sighs> it's so bad. It's so bad. So bad. So, yeah, this is this is supposed to be funny. And it's not. It's cringy. He's desperate for a haircut ahead of some fashion shoot that he's just landed. And he gives this big song and dance about how he's a big deal and how he usually gets his haircut at some place in town that's got a month-long waiting list and all this sort of garbage. Right. And, is, uh, is, is Manchester typically a place where people who are male models and have uh, film shoots... Do, are there lots of film shoots in Manchester besides Coronation Street? Well, ever since moved to Salford, which is part of... Manchester media cities there, so there's there is quite a lot of media darlings there, and I would imagine there is opportunities for people like this twat to get to get work. I would I don't imagine it to be impossible. Let's put it that way. Well, so it's it's Manchester is Hollywood now. Good God, no! But <laughs> okay, so it's Atlanta. It's maybe Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Shona continues to say inappropriate things and when the guy wants a decaf lap sing she offers him a lap dance instead it's hilarious David continues to find this delightful not he, no he does he's got a little smile on his face as all this is going on it... but he finds it significantly less delightful when he goes off for a pee mid haircut mind you and Shona has taken a pair of clippers to the guy's man bun she finds it hilarious even when he threatens to sue for loss of earnings. And I'm beginning to wish that Shona had died at Christmas. Harsh, but fair. But fair. David offers to try and fix it, but the hipster says he's not going anywhere near that psycho and tells David that Shona needs locked up. And Shona says, who you talking about like that? Even though he's absolutely correct. Well, he's not. And well, he is. This is the, but no, this is, he's not. And this is part of the problem. Because the guy has no idea that she has had a brain injury and, you know, is is not like a normal, I don't want to say normal. She's a differently abled person whose disability is on the inside, so you can't see it. It's really ableist to say that she's a psycho and needs locking up. But he does this. The hipster doesn't realize how ableist she's being by saying that. But the show knows, 
And David knows. Right, but you can't expect a character to know the character of the hipster to know, so that's no. fine. No, but still, it, it, you know, nobody at some point says, hey, wait, wait, no, no, she's had a brain injury. David never says that to the guy. The guy is yelling and screaming, and at no point does anybody say, look, I'm really sorry, but she is disabled. She has had a brain injury. This is not, you know, this is not just some person who decided to you know she honestly doesn't realize although i think she does realize that this was a bad thing to do i think we've gotten to the point where she knows when she does things that are bad and she just does them anyway no, and she i think that she, was, she found it problem. hilarious yeah she found it hilarious but the reason why she did is because the guy was bad mouthing david when david was in the bathroom oh supposedly who knows yeah so and the whole thing is just shit Let's just say that. Okay, we can agree on that. Uh, David tells him to do one and take Shona aside, even when he continues to threaten legal action against them. Shona now wants her whole, and David tells her to go home. Again. And back home. We, we, we need to stop this whole Shona wants her whole, and David says no thing. Right. It's, it's so old now. Well, all of this is old, and all of this is just repetitive, because, again, when they get home, Shona doesn't know why David is still angry with her for, like, the, the third time this week. Things would be better if she went away, she says. He disagrees and lets her off again, and he disagrees and lets her off again with a shocking behaviour that he simply isn't coping with. Later after dinner, Shona's still keen for her hole. Right now, if you fancy, David still thinks it's too soon, and she accuses him of making excuses, and she thinks that she disgusts him, and she throws some dishes at him and storms out. So, this storyline finishes the week in pretty much the same way as it started the week. Right, yeah. And it's just... You'd think, because I know that they've been getting consultations with, with organizations that work with brain injuries. So you'd think somebody would take them aside and say, okay, all right, this is kind of what it's like, but the people around her and everything would have a bit more structure in her day than this. It wouldn't be this willy-nilly. There would be... Certainly there should be like lessons or something or she would go to like a support group or something that would help her figure out, you know, the norms of society again. This you, wouldn't you just think be, there would be some sort of therapy going yeah, on here that isn't going there, on. Yeah, she, it wouldn't, she wouldn't just be fobbed off on her family. And if this Or, or Aaron, this Aaron guy who seems to be her babysitter. Useless, yeah. He's not, he's not helping. He's not consulting. And if he's sick, you'd think that they would give somebody that somebody else there would they would send a replacement for the day or something. There's just there's it's kind of my same complaint with Oliver thing. It's like they started with these grand intentions and oh look at us, we're getting consultations, we're working with and we're, sh- we're shining a light on the situation, and then it just devolves into something completely different that's that's not based in reality, or just has a very thin thread with reality. Like the whole weird hipster thing was just—it's like an alien was dropped down into Coronation Street, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's even... What was he even doing there in the first place? Right. He just walks around a corner and is like, oh, you're not closing, are you? Well, if this guy... If this is the first time this guy's ever been on the street, how would he even know that there's a barbershop there? 
Wait, wait, why? I think hipsters have some kind of signal that they get from the mothership <laughs> that tells them about these things and where they can go and get moccasins and stuff like that. Yeah. Isn't that a thing? Uh, yeah, it's all it's all in the man bun. Little antennae. Mm-hmm. That's why they have the man bun there to hide their antennae. It's a antenna. Uh, it's just... Uh, I hate this. It's it's so bad. It's it's gotten it's gotten to a point now. The Shona stuff is ridiculous. The sinkhole stuff is ridiculous. Just I don't know what they're trying to do here. You know? It's like they've thrown a whole bunch of stuff into the pot and they mixed it around. They don't know what they've got. So they just like start throwing it at the wall and whatever sticks. You know, it's like it's like they get into a room and I have a hilarious idea for making Shona even more hilarious and ridiculous and make David mad at her again. And nobody stops and says, hey, maybe we should be doing something different with the storyline now. I think everybody gets it that there's lots of norms of society that she doesn't get anymore and that she doesn't understand and she needs help dealing with. Why don't we show her getting that help now instead of just showing having more ridiculous examples of her being goofy? People complain about how it's too serious these days and there's not the kind of lightheartedness that there was in yesteryear, which I think people are selectively remembering things. Right, anyway, seriously, nobody has died of a hairdryer in years. But well, we can't keep on going back to that one or, example. Or, or run over by a train. A tram. Or a, or a tram falling on them from the railings above. Trams are just like... That, you don't even, death stalking the, you don't even see the trams the anymore but this is one that I think has been played for laughs mostly because why would you put cheese puffs on a cake we're supposed to find that funny or we're supposed to find that outrageous and weird or something mm. but we're not supposed to feel sympathy about that and there are things that she does remember like she talks about her mum at one point this week you know there and I and I get that with a brain injury it's very selective what you do and don't remember but yeah the whole if we're going to have a food gag let's just have one food gag why do we need two food gags if we're gonna have Shona do something bad to somebody in the salon or the barbershop let's have that happen once mm-hmm. and then let's move on and do something different we get that. it the- and we get it shona for some reason is really 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 keen to get her whole because <laughs> she's been brain damaged she really wants to have sex with david because she's brain damaged we get it can we can we please stop having her asking him every time he's nice to her if they can go have sex now? He even draws attention to the fact that <sighs> remember the last time with Bernie. So it's not as if they're trying to hide it. No. Anyway, let's move on because this is uh, get my blood pressure up. Yes. The, this is kind of the main story of the week. This is a on your Todd stuff. <laughs> on Monday. PC tinkers around the islands again to see how she's doing and wants to arrange a time to event- identify the body in the morgue. Sean is shocked. Why didn't she tell him? He offers to go with her, but she refuses. This is something she has to do on her own. And mm-hmm. besides Sean. <laughs> Meanwhile, Todd lets himself Sean's in the back door. storyline coming up very soon. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Todd lets himself in the back door, so to speak. 
Eileen has prayed <laughs> but not like that. to see him, but now that she does, she just feels disgusted. He doesn't care about her, just her going through with this ridiculous plan. Todd thinks the plan is genius, and it's the only way that he can uh, stay alive. She can't pretend that he's dead, but he thinks that this is the only chance he has for life. He begs her to go through with it. If she does, she doesn't want to see him ever again. Over at the factory, Billy and his man bag, neither of whom work at the factory, are at the factory. Billy and his man bag try to stick their noses into Michael's business, but are told to twat off in no uncertain terms. Sean happens along and explains about the body in the mortuary and how it might be Todd's. Paul, Billy and his man bag are shocked. Billy and his man bag more than perhaps would be expected and they rush off to see Eileen, leaving Paul to wonder exactly what the fuck is the deal here. So then, Billy and his man bag arrive at the police station just behind Eileen. He can't let her do this alone and insists on going with her. She says that she won't be alone because Craig will be there. An emotional Billy and his man bag say that this is what they were trained for, plus he's a friend and plus he's Todd's ex-partner. Eileen says Billy and his man bag are the last people on earth that she'd want there after they went behind her back. She's lost her trust and she goes off with Craig. Get it right, fucking up you, Billy and his man bag, she says. It's, it's like the show doesn't even know what a vicar does. <laughs> it's like they don't even know what a vicar is. Uh, Billy. <laughs> oh, Billy. I, oh, Billy, you're, you're so annoying now. When did this happen? When did Billy become so annoying? He's always been kind of annoying, but he's been particularly annoying recently. <laughs> And I mean, I get that he would be really emotional if he thought that Todd was dead. I understand that. You know, if I thought one of my exes was sick or dead, I would still get emotional and I would still be sad. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that, you know, I want to get back with him. God forbid. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, so that's that's understandable. And it's kind of understandable that he would annoy Eileen about it. But would you rush across town to to see the body? Or would you just let yes. Eileen go, would you? Yeah, I would. <laughs> You're fucking weird. You want to make sure that they're dead. Later, we see Todd calling Eileen desperate no for news guys. on what she did. Eileen gets home and wouldn't you know it, Billy's went in the kitchen even more desperate than Todd to find out. The fuck are you doing here, she asks. And he begs to know and she shakes her head that it wasn't Todd. Billy thinks she must be so relieved. And he has hope that Todd will come back to them one day. And Eileen's like, you don't know the half of it. Right. And the language that Billy's using here is a little a little too verging on intimate that Todd will come back to them. Mm. It's a strange thing you see. I don't know. Eileen tells Billy and his man back to go home, and so they do so, which allows Eileen to call Todd and tell him the news. She didn't tell them that it was him, and Todd immediately hangs up on her. Then Mary is home checking on Eileen, who says that she feels numb. Mary is glad that it seems that Todd is still alive. Eileen doesn't deserve her sympathy and comes clean with Mary. She knew it wasn't Todd because she's been meeting up with him recently. Why would she tell Mary of all people this is my problem here? Mary and Sean. You wouldn't tell Sean. You, no, you You'd absolutely wouldn't. You might tell Mary. I'd tell Mary. Mary, considering what happens next. <laughs> I'm more likely to tell Mary than I am to tell any of my other friends, I think. Later, you Mary. And, you and Mary are friends now. 
If it was Eileen. <laughs> okay. Later, Mary's meet with George to talk about flower orders, but Mary's mind is, is elsewhere, and George finds this shocking because normally when they talk about flowers, she's like a seagull on a sausage roll. She explains the latest goings-on regarding Todd, who wanted uh, Eileen to lie and say the body was his so that he would be off the hook with Mick the gangster. Eileen's upset, Mary's big mouth is at it again, but George insists uh, on his confidentiality. Plus, he's heard of Mick the gangster, and he arranged his brother's funeral last year. The guy is a fucking psycho, and he doesn't blame Todd for wanting to play dead. George is worried that Mick will go through Todd's family if he can't get his hands on Todd, but there might be something George can do, and he gets on his phone. And this is with Eileen out of the room, so this is just between mm-hmm. George and Mary. Yeah. So Eileen gets home and Todd is waiting in the living room telling Eileen that she signed his death warrant. He lo- loves to play on this, doesn't he? Can, can we just start calling him Eileen's son? Because he's a tit. <laughs> Eileen really needs to get that back door to look changed. She couldn't go through with the scam because she couldn't do that to Billy in summer, plus the family of that poor dead man. Since when did you turn into Mother Teresa, says Todd. He goes to leave, but she doesn't want him to leave it like this. She thinks they can sort it out and asks how much he owes. It's a grand, he says, but that's not the point. <sighs> Mick will see him dead for a grand? Eileen doesn't think this makes any sense. What kind of person would kill someone for a thousand pounds? Todd seems to be hiding something here. He leaves and says that she'll never see him again. Fingers crossed, eh? Yes. On Wednesday. What a tip. Eileen is leaving a message on Todd's machine. She's going to raid her eyes up for £1,300. Let's pay him off and be done with it. Sean announces that Dylan is going to be staying half-term out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that the story? <laughs> okay. That feels a little spoilery. Yeah. Eileen is... But it's short, so fine. Eileen is back from the bank and hides the money as Mary comes home. Mary has a surprise for Eileen at the florist and advises that she wear something darker, something more funereal. Mary reveals that George is staging a funeral for Todd, and this gets Eileen interested. George has the hearse and the flowers all sorted. Todd's name next to the coffin and flowers. He's done a great job. There's even an order of service. Just a shame Eileen isn't in black. And now it's hard to tell if Eileen is impressed by this or not. She's not impressed. But George has done a fantastic job. He really has. For somebody <laughs> who he doesn't know, he's really doing this for Mary. He's done it, doing it for Mary. Right. What it's, a good what a good friend to have. It's a goofy. Useful to have a funeral director as a friend, isn't it? He's a bit goofy though. This whole thing is a bit goofy. Let's Eileen's not wrong. So we find out exactly what Eileen thinks. How dare they organise all this without checking with her first? Mick's even been invited to the funeral. George has picked out the pet shop boys for the exit music. That was quite funny. Because Tim because not Tim. Todd. Todd is Gay. You know. Gay. Yeah, well, that's not what George Which says. Means that he must like the Pet Shop Boys. George says and he must like Erasure. You know. <laughs> and Bronski beat. George has picked out. Oh, I've just said that. What if Mick doesn't show? Then they've wasted their time, says George. Then Mick does indeed show up, cheery to see that Todd is dead. <laughs> How did he die? asks Mick. And George says that he was taken too soon, as Mary pretends to be heartbroken, but Eileen has seen through it and knows that Mick isn't falling for it. No, he's not. Todd is alive. Now what? Well, where's the man of the hour, asks Mick, knocking on the coffin. Eileen has no idea, and Mick says it'll be in touch. Don't you worry about that. So Todd turns back up at Eileen's. The place is empty, and he goes through some drawers randomly, and I thought he was going to find the money, the money but I don't think he did. No, he doesn't, because Eileen gives it to Mick later. Right. 
Mick is good at to his word and turns up outside Island's house. Told you, he says. Then he gets a call on his phone and he's learned nothing from last week because he once more turns his back on people. <laughs> Eileen unlocks the door, startling Todd who rushes down the stairs and then he rushes back up as Eileen and Mick come in. Mick shouts upstairs for Todd and then decides that he's not home. No worries, says Mick. I can wait. So Eileen throws Mick the money and tells him to go. He takes it but doesn't leave. Mick starts talking about feeling and says that Eileen is famous and then, out of the blue, reveals that he and Todd were lovers. Mm-hmm. What? Which... Totally makes sense that it's not the grand. They couldn't think of anything else. What are you saying that that gangsters can't be gay? I'm saying that that gangster doesn't appear to be gay, and if he was gay, Todd. Why not? He's all right looking. He's a tit, but he's all right looking. No, Mick. No, Todd. Mick. I think Todd would have his sights on something. Someone oh. a little less step-toeing son is, is I, Mick. I don't know. I mean... What? He's an acquired taste. Mick wants her to call him. Then she, say, then she sees Todd sneaking down the stairs and offers to make them a brew. Mick appreciates the tea in a cup, and as he stirs it, we hear some creaking floorboards upstairs, and Mick asks to use the toilet, and she says, well, actually, I'd rather that you didn't. COVID and, then, and all that, even though you're sitting here in my house drinking tea out of my cup without a mask on. Right. All of a sudden, I remember that COVID is a thing. Mm-hmm. Ah. And then Mick pulls out a gun. Get your fucking arse down here or your mom gets it. So Todd appears. The dead are walking, says Mick. He tells him to sit down. Getting dumped and stolen from. You can't let that pass. Tell George we're going to need that coffin after all. So passing Gary overhears the threatening conversation uh, in Eileen's house. Inside, Mick ushers Todd out the back door, but not like that. Eileen offers more cash, but Mick quite reasonably tells her to save it for something worth spending it on. Outside, Gary's waiting and twats Mick for the second time in two weeks about his head with a bit of wood. They initially think he's dead, but when he comes round, Todd says that they're even. Mick says that you'll know when we're even. When you're dead. On Friday, Gary and Eileen are talking about Mick when Eileen playing down any knowledge of what was going on and anyway, Todd is bunked off again so Mick won't be back. It turns out Eileen disposed of the gun on the red wreck and then tipped off the cops. Anonymously. Yeah. That seemed a bit far-fetched. Well, at least she did tip off the cops. She's going to pick up that gun, which had been cocked. Uh-huh. So it's it's live. Well, she was married to a serial killer. So yeah, you'd think she didn't that have she much to, to do with that serial killing though. She was kind of very maybe, much maybe an innocent bystander and all that. Maybe she knows how to uncock a gun and put some gloves on first. Because you know, her prints are gonna be all over that all thing. Over so uh, uh, This is not as bad as Shona and David. No. Gary leaves and then Todd comes down the stairs for the eighth time since yesterday. He's looking for breakfast. So Todd's had breakfast and is about to go back to the attic because that's where he lives now. Eileen isn't thrilled by this and wants him out. He just needs a few days. He asks about Summer but Eileen, who thought of her as a granddaughter, hasn't had much contact since he left and guilted by this, Todd says he'll leave. Eileen points out how hard this has been on her and how frightened that she was. Why didn't he call? And he says that he couldn't. He was too ashamed but he's learnt his lesson. Back on the street, Maria's begging Gary to report this Mick character to the cops, but he can't because he promised Eileen and he asks Maria to drop it. All the while, 
Mick is watching from a car. So later we see him in the gunnel and loitering around Iron's back door, but not like that, and sees Todd at the sink. Or thinks that he sees Todd, because Todd quickly hides. Given up on that, Mick shows up at the furniture thing. He and his stubby wee henchmen want to discuss matters from yesterday. Mick thinks Gary's Todd's bit in the side. He's not my type, says Gary. The wee stubby guy closes up the furniture thing, and it looks like Gary's going to get a bit of a beating. <laughs> from the wee stubby guy and, and Mick. And the lead pipe. Mm-hmm. And the furniture thing. Right. With Professor Plum. <laughs> and you would think... You would think that this would have made a lot of noise that passerby would have heard, but apparently not. Yeah, they're very quiet. After dishing out the beaten, Mick and the stubby guy speed off in separate vans. At least I think it was separate vans, or was it the same van? I don't know, it was weird. It seemed like he was, like, the stubby guy goes to Gary's van at first, but then Gary's, bi- but then they both leave in the white van, because they're both right. gone. So did he do something to Gary's fan that we just don't know about yet? I don't think they drew enough attention to it if that was the case. Yeah, it was just, it was, it was shot very oddly. So Gail takes a photo because she can't remember the number plate, build V. That was the license plate of the, the van. Meanwhile, Maria finds Gary out on the floor at the furniture thing, but he's not covered in jam, so that's okay. Yeah, if, if you were hit repeatedly with a lead pipe. It'd be some jam. There'd be some, there'd be quite a bit of jam, and he wouldn't be able to stand up. (laughs) Maria goes off to get a first aid kit and PC Tinker, even though Gary specified no pigs. Gary doesn't want to talk about it, but Maria drops Island in it. You tell him or I will, she says. So Gary spills his guts. And Maria's in the right here. Right. I, I don't blame her a bit for this bit. So Maria spills his no, so Gary spills his guts and uh, on Mick and how Todd was there last night. Maria says that Mick had a gun and PC Tinker demands to know why no one reported this. Because that's the important part. PC Tinker goes off to see Eileen who pleads ignorance and suggests that Gary must be back to his old loan shark ways and has cooked up this Mick and Todd story to cover his tracks. And PC Tinker falls for it and sees himself out. What? She made that anonymous call about the gun. Wouldn't Craig and the police put two and two together and figure out that indeed Gary is telling the truth? Uh, why does Craig just, all right then, and that's so, yep. the end of it. That's not good policing. You seem surprised. <laughs> Todd comes down the stairs again. Eileen starts to think that coming clean is the best idea to get Mick behind bars. Now, keep in mind that we've seen Mick in action. Todd says that Mick literally gets away with murder and says for the umpteenth time that if Eileen does action A, it'll be cuttings for Todd. We've seen Mick get surprised and hit over the head twice. Within a week. And we've seen Mick need a sideman. A small stubby chap. With a lead pipe to beat up Gary. How much of a gangster is this guy? Not, and what n- not kind at all. Of, what kind of a gangster is he? Because a gangster kind of insinuates that... He has a gang? He has a gang and that they do things like sell drugs or, or uh, you know, off-street off liquor, or, you know. A protection racket, see? <laughs> yeah. They're, 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 there doesn't seem to be anything like that about Mick. 
And he's kind of played for laughs as well, like mm-hmm. with the whole teacup thing. Yeah, I quite like Mick. <laughs> I think he's, he's a great. He's not wrong. He's a great rubbish body. He's not wrong about the teacup either. No. No. It's quite sophisticated that way. Yes. Yes. Unexpected. Right. Unexpected, but delightful. <laughs> I'm on Mick's side here. Oh, totally. I would. I would want Todd dead too. Yep. <laughs> and. Gary, sure, why not? So, uh, yeah, it'll be curtains for Todd. Eileen is up to her tits with this crap, but gives Todd a couple of days to fix it. Back at the factory thing, Craig phones Gary to call him a liar. Maria can't believe it. What if Mick comes back? He won't, says Gary, because he's going to take it to Mick, and he hobbles off to Eileen's. He wants to see Todd and doesn't believe Eileen when she says that she doesn't know. Gary calls Todd a two-bit con artist who gets his mum to do his dirty work and says Todd better hope that Mick finds him before Gary does. So Gary leaves and then Todd comes down the stairs yet again. Mm-hmm. He's got calves like concrete by the end of this week. He also does his big gulp again too. So that just that's just how that car- that guy that's 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 how he gulps. That's just uh, you know Gary hobbles off to the rovers, but he finds sympathy in short supply, and Sarah cuts Gail off when Gail talks about seeing the people who did it and, and taking a photograph of the van. Gary thinks everyone thinks that he had it coming and leaves while Maria guilt Sarah about how Gary saved his life. Her life. And we will come back to this a little bit later. Yeah, and it's it's weird because, you know, Jenny mouths off to him and says, Well, you probably had it coming. Mm-hmm. And Sarah, who, let's remember, had this whole thing and is protecting Gary from going to jail. So has been sympathetic towards Gary about all of this. All of a sudden is now unsympathetic towards Gary in all of this. You know, when Gary, like, bought them all drinks at the Rovers and was really kind to them when they were celebrating and stuff and seemed like oh you know he's not a bad guy after all and again is protecting him with the whole rick the chin shit mm-hmm. it's <sighs> well there's a reason for that right and the reason is to get gary to become an actual baddie it's because we've forgotten that gary's a baddie Oh, well, we haven't forgotten, but we're trying to forget that Gary's because a baddie because he's not a very good baddie. It's inf- it's infuriating because, you know, before Friday, when I just watched Monday and Wednesday, I came to you and I said, oh, so Gary's kind of the Robin Hood of the street now. You know, he's a baddie with a heart of gold who is actually trying to help people. You know, he just happens to be in the right place at the right time to hit Mick. For Todd, who he doesn't have to help Todd. He didn't. He he could have kept walking when he heard all that ruckus. He didn't have to go around the back and see what the ruckus was about. I don't know. He could have called the cops. He could have just kept walking. There's there's this there's this element of Gary where he does bad stuff because he has done bad stuff. He was a loan shark. He killed a guy. He caused the roof collapse. But he also you know, is helping to keep that kid in, in school is... Is he still doing that? I, I'm assuming so. I guess. Um, is trying to do the right thing by the factory people, by the knicker people, by keeping the factory going and everything. 
I don't know. I... Helping out Eileen does feel like a Gary thing to do. Absolutely. Because he's, he's a, a bit of a nosy, a nosy Parker. Right. And, and he gets himself involved in other people's business. And he likes to be the hero. Yep. And he's he's ex-military. Well, as he likes to insist. I don't know. The, the way that the, he was getting portrayed this week in, in preparation for the rug to be pulled under... Mm-hmm. Did feel more like the kind of Gary that we've we've had over the past few years, where yeah, he's a bit of a rogue and and whatnot, but he's he's not really not really evil. Yeah, he's a rogue with say. a heart of gold. He's so so to speak, anyway. But we'll we'll see how that changes in, in coming storylines. Right. So next, I'm surprised you didn't mash those two storylines together here. Oh, it's impossible. Because I've already mashed stuff together. Because that yeah. was because uh, because a lot of this is together the, with the other stuff. This is there are two storylines here where uh, where it does fit together, even though because it's going to the, for the same purpose. But this was kind of this little outlier about Todd then became something else that you couldn't really bring into at the end because then you'd have to throw all the Todd stuff in with the stuff that we'll talk about at the mm-hmm. end. So it didn't really fit. Sure. However, you are more than welcome to have a stab at doing the notes if you like. No. Then <laughs> Next up is Arthur and Evelyn. And I'm kind of wondering what's, what are we doing to make this a dark storyline? What could we possibly do to suck joy out of this? Well, let's see. Well, it's not really dark, but it does suck joy. Right. On Monday, Arthur is in Dev's chatting to Evelyn about a possible getaway in a caravan to the lakes. Evelyn makes sure Woo-hoo! Arthur is content sleeping in the tent until the uh, under the, the awning, which Arthur is happy to do. He knows the rules. He's not allowed in her caravan, so to speak. In comes Tyrone, who finds this... Which is this- weird. Which is weird, because I thought we'd already established that they are a couple. They are an item that Eileen very much... Evelyn. Yes, Evelyn very much has a thing for Arthur, and Arthur very much has a thing for Evelyn. Yeah, she's still scared of intimacy a little bit, though. Uh, apparently. And comes Tyrone, who thinks this is a wonderful chance to gently rib his nan. Ty has checked over Arthur's car, and they're raring to go. I think Tyrone and Fizz are, are very much looking forward to some days off without Evelyn in the house. <laughs> Evelyn is trying out her new hiking boots as they load up. Yep. Evelyn is trying out her new hiking boots as they load up the car. Arthur thinks he's going away with bare grills when he feels <laughs> away in Evelyn's suitcase. Tyrone gives him an inflatable mattress and then Arthur has to hurry away mysteriously to take a call and this allows Tyrone to continue to, continue to wind up his gran about getting her hole. Then Arthur comes back. There's a problem with his dog. He'll be back in a jiffy and Evelyn already looks pissed off. Tyrone says that he knows his gran has the hots for Arthur, but the last time Evelyn had her hots was during the menopause, and this shuts <laughs> Ty up. Arthur has been away... Yes, because f- apparently menopause is gross. It's because it starts with uh, meno, it makes him think of menstruation. Oh, the poor baby. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, it's, it's scary. He lives with four women. Two, yes. Only one of whom I would imagine is currently right. menstruating. But still, what's going to happen when those girls are teenagers if, if he's this creeped out by menopause? He'll move out. 
<laughs> so Arthur's been away for an hour now and, and isn't answering his phone. Evelyn sends Ty over to the shop to get some boiled sweets. If she's going all the way to the lake, she's going to need something to suck on. <laughs> Arthur finally gets back to the street three hours late. The dog was fretting and consents <coughs> when he's going away for a few days. Tyrone gets her stuff and they head off, although Arthur looks like something else might be on his mind. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, Arthur and Evelyn are already back. Tyrone watches from the garage, concerned that his gran has a face like a bulldog licking pish from a nettle. Ty tracks Evelyn down to Dev's. Apparently there was a hole in the inflatable mattress, so they had to come home. Everyone is sorry it didn't work out. Which is weird, because up until Ty offers that inflatable mattress, they d- he wasn't going to have an inflatable mattress, and he seemed fine with that. Mm-hmm. So that's very odd. So later, Ty has checked out the mattress, and it's fine. So why did they really come back? And Eileen sticks to the story that Arthur said he couldn't spend another night on the mattress and the penny drops. He wanted his hole. Eileen is fu- Eileen is furious? Evelyn is furious. Oh, oh. While Ty so, giggles like Muttley. So I'm not the only one who accidentally says Eileen instead of Evelyn. Do you know, Helen, if you just one time let me get away with a pronoun switch, <laughs> I would have let you get away with that. <laughs> In the cafe, Ty talks about Arthur's it. urges. There's a nice wee moment where Nina encourages Evelyn and Evelyn is sick to hear herself talk like a teenager. Bottom line is, though, she likes Arthur. So later, Arthur meets Evelyn at the bistro. She's glad that he came. She'll come straight back. But to, not like that. She's She'll come straight to the point. She likes him. She knows he lied about the mattress. He tries to explain, but she cuts him off. She's been thinking and listening, and she's been holding back, which isn't to do with him. She'd like to try again and be a bit more open and a bit kinder. And he's very pleased to hear this, so she sends him to the bar for a double. Arthur has worried uh, that he was about to be dumped, but Evelyn wants to plan for the next trip. Son's mattress. Arthur goes bright red, but then does a little smile fade thing. And next, just when it looked like we're going to get through a week without a visit to the hospital, we see Arthur alone outside the hospital, looking kind of sad. And going into the hospital, looking kind of sad. On Friday, whatever happened at the hospital, we don't find out. Instead, Evelyn and Arthur chatting about where to go off to next so that she can get away from her irritating grandson. They're off to Norfolk, which Arthur feels like is a long way to go for a weekend. Tough. And Evelyn goes off to get some time off from Dev. Dev is happy to give her time off and suggests that she takes uh, more than a long weekend. Why not extend it? Why not take the rest of the year? And Evelyn sees this as constructive dismissal. This will not wash. She knows her rights, and he accuses her of bringing in slave labour in the shape of his kids to price her out. Well, in that case, says Dev, her time off request is denied. And that was weird. I mean... I I think that was meant to be funny as well. (sighs) (laughs) I mean, we've already had this really, really emotional stuff with Kathy and Dev. And not not getting the money in and stuff. Moment of the week, no less. Right. And so for Dev, so I could kind of understand, oh, Dev seeing, oh, here's an opportunity where I can cut some costs and stuff and, and, and save a penny. So I kind of understood that. But then when she says nothing doing, he just denies her vacation. Well, he's so pissed off with her that... Right, but still... She's accusing him of slave labour. Well, she's not wrong. Slave labour? Well, not slave labour, but still, she's... So she is wrong. Paying the kids 
minimum wage or less than minimum wage under the table is still dodgy. But it's weird because she suggested that over the weekend that that the kids could help out because then she says, well, I wouldn't leave Addie alone because remember the whole vodka thing. Right. So it was her idea. But if this whole thing is Dev trying to save some money, wouldn't it save some money to not have to pay Evelyn for the weekend? At least. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. It felt like inserting a fight in where they really didn't need a fight. Yeah, because it was meant to be funny. He's cut off his nose to spite his face, basically. Right. And I think it was meant to be funny. Uh, well, it wasn't. Because she went and she yeah. felt that she held all the cards. Mm -hmm. She's due some time off. In fairness. It kind of backfires on her a little in bit. In fairness, she should have asked. She ends up with no time off. She should have asked more than 24 hours before leaving right. for the time off. In fairness. But still. Arthur and Evelyn decamp to the bistro with Fizz and Tyrone. Fizz is surprised that the two of them wanted to go to Norfolk and Ty thinks that she should pack in her job to go. <sighs> it was his idea for her to get a job in the first place and now that he's kind of got used to her, maybe this isn't mm -hmm. so important after all. Evelyn wants to hold Dev to account for this and Arthur still looks concerned about something. So in comes a rather animated Dev into the bistro and immediately he's rattled about Evelyn spreading lies about him. When Arthur tries uh, to calm the whole situation down, Dev accuses Arthur of only being interested in his hole. Outside your prick, says Arthur, taking off his jacket. He takes off his jacket and everything. <laughs> and Dev's like, I'm like I'm going to fight you, you old duffer. <laughs> and he says it would be worth it. Even tells Dev, because she's kind of turned on by Arthur's uh, brave display of masculinity <laughs> by taking off his jacket. I don't know. It's, it's very chivalrous. It's very sweet. She I, tells, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if you threatened to beat somebody up for me. <laughs> Never been in a fight in my life. We've <laughs> been in one fight. Wait, now. wait. Two fights. Two fights. One yeah, fight. And then remember you had to go with Stoops to help that woman get her furniture at one time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She was from Boston. And I was wearing my Boston Red Sox t-shirt at the time, <laughs> which was... A, Something of a coincidence. Yeah. We emptied that woman's house while our husband was at work. Yeah. <laughs> because he was abusive. Yes. Yes. I'm still kind of risking now I think about it. Yeah. There was four of us there. I think we would have handled the situation, but still mm -hmm. it was a little bit. Don't typically get involved in things like that. Mm -hmm. That was me doing a favour for Stoops. Yes. Hi, Stoops. Hiya. My big bear. <laughs> so. <laughs> but you were the bear in that situation. I think he's more bear-like than I am. Like it actually looks like a bear. He looks like a horse. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. He's got a horsey face. That's why I call him my horsey. People have a horse face or a monkey face. Everyone's got either a horse face or a monkey face. Anyway. Where did I get to? Beating up Dev, taking off jacket. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Evelyn tells Dev that he can stick his job up his arse. Right. right. Up his arse. Up his arse. Dev apologises and asks her not to quit. But, oh, Dev, you've misunderstood the situation. She's not quitting. She's accepting, accepting the redundancy that you offered earlier, and she'll be in touch with her terms. And that's as far as we get with that this week. 
Dum dum dum. What's up with Arthur, do you think? I think his wife isn't dead, but she's like senile and in a hospital. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe he had problems with his bobby. No, because why would he want to come into the caravan if he has pro- if he had problems with his bobby? He'd be perfectly happy to sleep in the tent and not try to cobble mm. up with Evelyn. No, there's... but we're still not quite sure what happened in that caravan, though. We have we have versions of the truth, I think. Well, no, we it's basically the truth because Evelyn says to him, you know, you told me that there was a hole in that and it wasn't, so I know what you were trying to get up to. That phone call that he got, that he claims it was about... And it was from was the hospital. Go- yeah. yeah, it wasn't about a dog. No. No. Somebody is in that hospital. It's not. It's not. It's not Arthur that has the problem. Has he said that he was widowed or married or anything like that up till now? I believe he has said that he was widowed, didn't he? I don't recall. I think they've both talked about their dead partners, haven't they? I don't. I don't remember. Mm. Somebody that he still cares about in some way that he can't tell Evelyn about is in that hospital, and. The only thing I can think of is is a wife with like dementia or something who's basically not there anymore, so it's not really cheating. Then why wouldn't he just say? Because it could be taken as cheating, I guess. I don't know. So he's not proud of it. No, I don't think he is proud of it. Just fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like. It's like they can't even give us this one bit of joy. <laughs> it's like they built that hospital set. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get as much use out of it as possible. <laughs> we might as well figure out how to get every single storyline that we have in the go to feature although the we hospital. Don't, although we don't see him inside the hospital. I suppose we'll see him inside the hospital maybe next week. Yeah, because if we see inside the hospital, then we find out why he's in the hospital. Right. And they, they want to spin this out a little bit. Right. But uh, yeah, They it's just like, love to spin things out lately, is, don't they? That this was a storyline where you felt nothing could depress you about this because it was just so fun and lighthearted. And two, it, two lovely characters. We've liked Arthur from the start. We've right. loved being Evelyn, lovely, and yeah. the two of them. While you wanted a more kind of Roy centric relationship, yes, I did. Still as do. A, as a as a second best, this isn't that bad. And I love that Roy gets mentioned. I love that they have that whole dialogue about trains. Yeah, the miniature railway that, stuff. He's sorry that you didn't get to see the trains and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we find uh. out that Arthur is not a stamp man. <laughs> oh, I was going to say something entirely inappropriate there. Yeah, I'm not, not surprised. Going to... Yeah, and I think this is kind of why I'm a little bit hard on... Oops. But not like that. <laughs> on this week's story, or storylines, is... The, the the removal of joy is not welcome. Right, yeah. Because even, you know, the things that gave us joy before... Because even the George and Mary stuff this week, it was kind of, it was kind of dark because they... they work to start this whole pretend funeral 
without asking Eileen, and it is kind of a ridiculous thing. And you'd think that George, at least, would be a little bit more sensible. Yeah, and observant of. Right. Because he, the wishes he, of other people. Because he turns out to it's be kind, of, kind of a a bumbly, goofy guy more than... Yeah, because I, I realise that we're jumping back a storyline here. But well, no, it's just I was just using it as, a, as an example. Because he does blame Eileen for the, the failure of the, the ruse. Right. Because she didn't wear black. Right. Like, that was going to make a difference. I, she was there in an anorak, right enough. It was not really... Mm. Although... Thinking about how my cousin turned up to my mum's funeral. <laughs> she didn't look that much out of place. Anyway, let's talk about Paul's helpline thing now. <sighs> Just on Friday, Paul is... Uh, you know, you'd think that I'd get the first word of a paragraph right. Billy is laughing for no reason at a photo Summer sent him of her gran watching The Bachelor. <laughs> Billy thinks this is the funniest thing he's ever laid eyes upon. That the old bat is watching The Bachelor. Paul understandably doesn't join in, so Billy re- realises that something is up then. And it seems that Paul had a diff- difficult call last night and hung up before Paul could help, and Billy's like, well, if I was ever looking for help, it would be from you, because he's changed his tune about this whole thing, because mm. remember that Paul admitted that he wasn't sure that he could right. do it, so therefore he needed Billy's help. Right. So now that Billy's given his help, right. he's now 100% behind us. Right. Because Billy right. suddenly is a prick. Right. Later, suddenly- Billy as is as annoying as ever when he asks what took Paul so much time at the shops. And then he gets a call from the bishop wanting a lunchtime meeting. It's about an important opportunity. Paul goes off to volunteer. Billy packs his man bag, ready for this meeting with the bishop. Later, Well, the- we don't know that it's a big opportunity. We just know that he has a meeting with the bishop at this point. No, because Billy they're kind says of worried. it's an important opportunity. That's all that he knows about it. Because he, he, he said those words. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Later, they meet up in the street and compare notes. The helpline was good, and the bishop has a job opportunity as a new archdeacon for Billy and his man bag. There's a catch, though. Some of the parishioners may not be as liberal as the bishop, because bishops are famously liberal. Mm. What if a load of abuse comes with a new job and a new house? I've been dealing with this all my life, says Paul, so bring it on. Again, it's like it's like the show has no idea what what a vicar is or does or what organized religion is or does because even the more liberal organized religions you know they'd want you to be married first before moving in your your significant other. You know, because even with even the most liberal even those who accept homosexuals into into their midst, you know, the whole premarital sex thing is still kind of frowned upon and not being married. And that's just like with regular parishioners, much less, you know, the people who are supposed to be So quite backward the and homophobic then. Well no, no, because it has nothing to do with homophobia. It has to do with being married. So get those gays married. And then it would be fine. You know, it, it's more about, I don't know. It's, just, it's a strange thing to be caught up about, isn't it? Well, I, it's it's not me being caught up necessarily. It's, I didn't say you, you were. It's a, a strange thing just to have a thing about marriage. Well, It's a strange thing. Well, the church has famously had a thing about marriage, you know, for 
centuries, the church has famously had a thing about marriage. So it just, it seems like, I don't know. And it would not, it would not matter. I would be saying the same thing if Paul was Paulette, you know, the church kind of doesn't like to see you having sex with someone you're not married with or living with someone you're not married to. Unless you're Catholic. In an intimate thing. Yeah. And if you're Catholic, then you can't have any of that. But Billy's not Catholic as he repeatedly keeps (laughs) having to remind people. You know, it's just, it feels like they just, they needed a vicar character in the show. So they just slapped a collar on him. Why they're suddenly giving him a promotion where you'd expect, where he says himself, this would be more responsibility. Really? Because you don't, you don't actually do anything at the moment. He takes phone calls from old ladies. He's handled a few funerals and a few weddings. We've never seen him preach. Well, who wants to watch that? Well... It's it's like my whole complaint about about Toya when she was a social worker. We never actually we never actually get to see these people do their jobs unless they work in a shop or cut hair or sew knickers or fix cars. You, you know, see them occasionally dabbling with fixing a car. It's because watching people do their jobs is really really fucking boring. But jobs like social workers and vicars. You could get an awful lot out of those jobs as storylines that would be interesting. And we never really get that. Why do you want scenes where people are fixing people's problems without having to go through weeks worth of drama and rigmaroles to finally come to some conclusion? If Toya can fix the whole uh, Nick and his kid and Leanne thing in one half hour session, that's literally weeks worth of drama that we're missing they can't afford to have people like that solving things because it pisses on the whole idea of drama yeah but there are ways to do it where it's not pissing off on drama i mean i know you haven't watched the sopranos i've watched one episode of the sopranos but an awful lot of it an awful lot of it is tony soprano sitting and having sessions with his psychiatrist that's most of what i remember from that one episode yes yeah so there's way to to do it to make it interesting and dramatic the show could do it i don't think coronation street is a sopranos though it doesn't matter that was just an example (laughs) it's possible is all i'm saying it's possible to actually have billy have just a few scenes every once in a while because i mean this is the same thing with why can't we have a couple be happy all the way through? And the argument is, well, that wouldn't be interesting. It could be interesting. It could be interesting to see people happy for more than half a week. Right. <laughs> you know? I, don't know, I think and, you can and, have people being happy, but... And I think that's part of the draw of the show. Part of the draw of Coronation Street is that these are ordinary people. People that you meet when you're walking down the street. The Coronation Street. <laughs> <laughs> Are you rapping? <laughs> no, I'm 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 misquoting Sesame Street, I believe. But um it's just I don't know. It Okay, well. It just feels like lazy writing all all over this week. Uh, and you know that there is going to be drama and trouble when when Billy and Paul and Summer try to 
move into that. He's not going to be archdeacon for long, I don't think, if he even gets to it. I, I, I think we've, I think we've kind of talked about this for long enough, but I think, I think the show has uh, shown us glimpses that now that Billy is officially an annoying prick, <laughs> uh, that the Todd introduction is going to play some part in the oh, Billy yeah. storyline because he keeps on going on about Summer. So mm-hmm. it's going to be reintroduced to Summer, then reintroduced to Billy, and then Billy and Todd are going to realise that what they had was tumultuous but special and poor Paul's going to get kicked to the curb and then this is going to shit all over the Archdeacon thing anyway. And to be quite frank, I don't think I'm going to care about this. Except, of course, that we will care about Paul because Paul is the best gay on the show. And And we love him. And we love Peter Ash. I'd be quite happy to see someone again. Not that we don't love everybody else, but Peter Ash is kind of like kind of like charlie and, and like being one of my favorite actors on the show so there you go our final storyline today is scott free on monday scott bumps into jenny outside rose rolls and announces that he has a new job with ray building houses in cheshire which means that he doesn't have to move scott then reveals that he and johnny had some words last Huzzah! night but you'll leave it to johnny to tell that story thank you scott Back at the Rovers, Jenny tells Johnny about Scott's new job with Ray Weinstein and Johnny looks less than thrilled and admits that he wouldn't be heartbroken if Scott moved on. Jenny asks him about the tiff and Johnny says it was nothing, they fight all the time. Jenny promises that she was only flirting with him because he's Johnny's mate so there's no reason for Johnny to be jealous about this. And Johnny's like, "Ah, okay, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. That's it, Jenny. (laughs) All about you. Gary and Maria are getting aye, used aye, aye. to their post-honeymoon life, meanwhile. Maria has come home determined to make Audrey an offer for the barbers. And this is where she sees her life going, but she'll have to sell her share in the salon and she'll need a little extra on top, so to speak. Gary does a terrible job of appearing nonchalant at the prospect of throwing more money Maria's way. Later, Maria approaches Gary at the furniture thing. It's a credit card bill and it's fucking massive. Gary admits to going a little overboard on the honeymoon and Maria isn't happy at starting married life absolutely skint or the fact that he hid the bill behind the toaster. No more lies, she says. And and yet she seemed to enjoy that honeymoon. Very much so. Never once crossed her mind that maybe they were honeymooning beyond their means. Mm-hmm. Later, Johnny goes to the bistro to speak with Ray Weinstein and tells him that Scott is not one to be trusted. He has form and has been inside one businessman to another, Mm. tap your nose. Ray isn't buying it, but Johnny says Ray doesn't deserve such a scumbag on his books. Which is weird because we know that Johnny can't stand Ray Weinstein. Yeah, and they kind of acknowledge that between each other. Scott comes into the Rovers and Johnny thanks him for dropping him in it. They talk about the Ray job that's due to last until the end of the month. Plus, on the down low, Ray has an idea. Ray has no idea what's coming to him. Johnny wonders why Scott doesn't disappear to the cost of the crime. And this... Scott has been inside for a long time. I don't know how long he's been inside, but yeah, he's done a stretch. He's, he, he kind of acts like this one dalliance that he and Johnny did years and years and years ago that he's been inside all that time you know he really lays it on thick as far as the guilting of johnny we're told that this happened 40 years ago i don't think yet 40 years (laughs) well one wouldn't think but he acts like he's just you know that he's only just recently gotten out for this thing that happened 40 years ago and that 
you know, Johnny owes him his life, mm. blah, 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 blah. But it also seems like Scott has kind of seen the error of his ways initially when we first meet him and everything like, no, oh, that happened so long ago and it's fine. And we were kids and everything. Now he wants to shit in his own bed, essentially. Mm. That's not, I mean, isn't that like the first rule of, of crime? It's to not shit in your own bed. I don't know if it's written down, but it's it's up there. You, 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 you hear that in a lot of like crime movies and stuff. Not shit in your own bed. You know, you don't steal from your own neighborhood, mm-hmm. from your own people. Because that's how you get caught very easily. Through the back, Scott explains that Ray is minted and he plans to do him over and gives Johnny a chance to get in on it. Scott calls it low risk, very high yield. Johnny pretends not to be interested, but then asks if it's on Ray's home or business. Ah, so you are interested, says Scott, as his, as his grin munches through a plate of also, shit. Also, does Scott think that, that Ray just has, like, a tower full of money that he goes swimming in, like Scrooge McDuck? Well, from he everything thinks- that we hear this week, that's <laughs> precisely the case. He thinks... He thinks, you know, rich people just leave their money lying around so you can go in and steal it. That's not how That's not how this works. At the end of the day, the furniture thing, Fizz thinks that they've taken in quite a bit, maybe 500 quid. Gary rewards this by letting her go. He needs to cut his costs, but he'll take her back when things improve. And Fizz tells him to shove his job up his arse, and we've already done that. Aww. Ray Weinstein overhears this. Staff A, Gary's place is full of junk. No wonder he's fucked. But Ray has a proposition for Gary. Back at the pub, Scott calls it a few grand for a couple of hours' work and Johnny says that he's not as sharp as he used to be because he's got his MS and he worries it'll be a a liability. Which it would be. We don't hear much of the plan other than Scott hates Ray for some reason and Ray has it coming. Johnny refuses the offer. Back at the furniture place, Ray is surveying it and when Mary comes in looking for an umbrella stand and she warns it should go up to a tenner, but not anymore... And then she's very picky. Uh, she may she may go up to 12 for something really special. Ray offers Gary a chance for some serious money. Sell him the factory. He wants to expand his empire and he offers £150,000 for it. This takes Gary by surprise, but it's not for sale. Ray gives him time to think it over. After all, he has the potential tenor to make from the right umbrella stand. And now it's Scott's turn to turn up at the bistro to speak to Ray. He needs that foreman's number again because he's lost it, and Ray explains that he was a bit quick off the mark and the job isn't there anymore. Scott would rather Ray was straight, so Ray throws Johnny under the bus. Johnny has spilled his guts about Scott, and none of it is good. He tells Scott to do one quietly and not make this any weirder than it has to be. Scott says he's learned his lesson that was a long time ago, but Ray is unpersuaded, so Scott angrily leaves. Right, yeah, see, I've learned my lesson. It was a long time ago. Scott goes back to the Rovers to see Johnny. Jenny calls him Bert and Ernie, who she insists were gay. She tells the two of them to go through the back. At speed dial, Maria tells Fizz that she can get her job back or something. I wasn't really paying attention. Gary tells Maria about Ray's offer for the factory, and Maria wants him to bite Ray's hand off. If he really loved her, he'd sell the factory, pay off the credit cards, and buy her the barbers. To the back, Scott accuses Johnny of selling him out. Aggressively, Johnny says it's time Scott hit the fucking road. He doesn't belong around here. And Scott tells Johnny that he owes him for everything he sacrificed by getting sent down and for Johnny getting away with it. This is payback. So on Wednesday, a cash-strapped Gary and Maria are having their breakfast at Roy's Rolls, chatting about ironing. Maria wants to know if Gary's thought any more about Ray's offer, but he says the timing isn't right and the factory is a more reliable source of income than the barbers and Maria doesn't look convinced. 
Scott is giving Jenny more chat about his huge family while they wait on Johnny. Jenny goes to get her handbag before their walk, and Scott thinks Jenny is a flirty so-and-so. Johnny would love to help Scott, but Scott calls him a gossip and a liar, just as Jenny comes back. At the factory thing. At the factory thing? Factory thing. No. At the furniture thing. Mm. At the furniture thing, Gary's going through his mail and gets something that makes him stop in his tracks and look up, all concerned. Yes. He goes round to see Kev. He has a letter from a solicitor representing the people who own his shop. And Kev has to come clean and admit that he's sold out. Yeah, because remember, Kev sold out. We've we've talked about the fact that nobody's talking about it. It looks like Gary's rent has been uh, given a bit of a hike. And Kev is careful not to mention Ray Weinstein. Gary rips up the letter, throws it in the air and leaves. And why? Why would would Kev... Well, you mess Kev's shop. Why, why, Why would Kev protect ray weinstein is it because you know he doesn't want gary to know that he had to sell because abby blew up his car i don't think, I think that's exactly gary, why i don't think Cave gary would want, care i just don't think cave wants anyone picking at that scab mm. meanwhile in roy's roles maria who had told gary to get in touch with david about the sinkhole learned from david that gary isn't returning david's messages about the sinkhole so she'll let him know spurned on gary goes to take a look that's a deep fucking hole you've got there, and it's going to cost a bit more than David's estimate of 300 quid to fix. It comes out in conversation, though, that David had an offer to sell up and refused it. It was to someone Ray Weinstein knows. Gary has some questions, and David is suspicious, but reveals that it was somebody called Roxy who was the person he was working with, mm. the gal with all the leaflets who's been making offers on streetcars and the like. Post-walk, Johnny is knackered and out on the couch. and comes Scott. Johnny wants to know if this is fair. He has MS. He'd be the worst getaway driver in the world. Seriously? You want to talk about fair, says Scott? He wants to meet Johnny in the park later, and Johnny doesn't get to say no, or Johnny finds out everything. Who's a good boy, says Scott. Then right, Gary, yeah. He's, he's making it out like he's been in prison for this one job for hmm. 40 years. I don't think it is. I don't think he's making out that it's 40 years, because you get out for murder after 20. Well... Gary goes back to Kev. It's Ray what's offered to buy stuff up, and Kev comes clean, although it's clear that there's no love lost between Kev and Ray. Then Ray Weinstein runs into Maria at Roy's Rolls and tells her Gary would be a fool to turn down his offer. Gary goes to see Ray. He's not a happy bunny. He wants double, and Ray agrees and offers to shake on it. Gary wants to know what this is about. He was laying a little trap here to see how high mm-hmm. that Ray would go. Yes. Ray wants them all to sell up, and Gary wants to know why. Ray says he's good for the money, and Gary knows that Ray was the one who put up the rent on his furniture thing, and now he wants the factory. What's the deal? Ray calls him a suspicious little man, and Gary, Gary says Ray brings uh, out in people. Ray calls it a business opportunity, and this money's life-changing. Yes or no, make up your mind. Meanwhile, Scott and Johnny meet up in the community garden. All Johnny has to do is drive a car. Scott's grand plan is to shake down Ray and his wealthy pals at some meeting that they're attending. Such sophistication. Jenny arrives and wants to know what this is all about. Nothing, says Johnny. In the rovers, Gary's on the phone to a contact asking about the sinkhole. Gary says he's never seen one so big. It's massive. <laughs> and I like that. Then he asks about building jobs or in the that's area. That's what she said. Sorry, not like that. Okay. That's what she said. Then Nina and Sarah come in to celebrate their big order that happened some weeks ago. Things are last looking up week. for the factory. It wasn't last week. Okay, two weeks ago. Some weeks ago then. Things are looking up for the factory. Sarah seems to have forgiven Gary for murdering Rick the Chin. Right, yeah. So this is why the whole, you know, her reaction in 
the rovers later makes no sense. Yeah, they share a little smile with each other. Right, yeah. Gary goes back to see Ray and turns down the offer. He's not an idiot. He has mates in the trade and will do some digging on Ray. Ray offers 400,000. Gary says too many people rely on that factory, people that he knows. Ray says he's not the only one capable like of digging. Like the mother of his child. If it's all or nothing, it looks like it's nothing. And Ray is so furious, he looks like he'll sexually harass an expert and come through the door. He's going to do that anyway, let's be honest. Right. Yeah, Gary says to, to Ray that uh, nobody nobody in the street thinks he's an angel, so mm. have at it. So Gary goes to collect his hot pots. Right, because Ray, for some reason, somehow knows that that Gary was a loan shark. Yep. So Gary goes to collect his hot pots from the rovers while Sarah and Nina are celebrating loudly in the back. He asks Carla for a favour, which looks like the cash-strapped Gary has bought the girls some fizz by way of congratulations. Right, yeah. On Friday then, Johnny comes into the uh, Roy's rolls and shits his britches when he sees Ray and Scott chatting away like old pals. Scott suggests an impromptu sesh to show no bad feelings after Johnny grasps Scott up. Ray Weinstein goes off to set something up. And now Scott wants to talk over yeah, the plan. They're, they're friends again? Mm-hmm. What has happened there? No what, excuses. What has happened between Scott and Ray? Because Ray's like, no, I don't want to see you again and I'm not going to hire you because you're dodgy, but we can still be friends? Well, I think Scott doesn't want to be seen to be an enemy of Ray, given his plans for ripping him off. He yeah, but you'd think inside. Ray would not want to hang out with somebody who he believes is dodgy. And you get the impression that because Ray and Johnny aren't exactly best of buds. No, so because... So the three of them get together to share pints seems a very because, strange thing. Because Ray stole the idea of the Rovers having that uh, free booze night for New Year's Eve. Right. Anyway, no excuses and they arrange to meet in the pub later. Meanwhile, on the street, Gary and Mary are talking about Ray's dodgy dealings. Whatever he has planned, it's huge. In the pub, Jenny has some honeydew items for Johnny to take care of, but you'll have to do it later. It's off to a sudden brewery convention. So off his fucks and Jenny sighs that there's no plus one she wanted to go with. Mm. So Ray drops in on Gary. He'll get down to business. Gary owes him rent. Not until the end of the month, says Gary. And Ray's streamlining his income to be in advance, but Gary tells him to go fuck himself. Mm-hmm. Scott shows up at the Rovers looking for Johnny for lunch and is surprised to find Johnny off to a real ill conference all of a sudden. They talk about how someone put the boot into Scott's chances to work with Ray and Johnny promises to sort them out, whoever they are, and she goes off to get the hot pot while Scott does his two-second smile fade thing. Much later, Johnny's home and Scott immediately lands in on them through the back of the Rovers. Can we do this tomorrow, says Johnny, who's suddenly on the toilet. Scott thinks that he should be putting the mates first. Johnny thought they agreed that they weren't mates anymore. After everything that happened 40 years ago, plus Scott admits to taking care of Jordan and Scottish Vicky, and Johnny is shocked. Oh, come on, Scott, you must have known it was me. This is what friends are for, says Scott. And now Johnny will return the favour. Johnny. And he... He said, oh, come on, Scott. It should be, oh, come on, Johnny. This is what friends are for. Oh, whatever. And Johnny will return the favour, and he threatens to tell Jenny again. Finally, Ray comes into the bistro and is surprised to see Gary. What the fuck happened to you in a different storyline that made you change your opinion on everyone and everything that lives in the street, asks Ray. Gary wants to know what Ray's plans are and Ray admits to wanting to build a skyscraper. What? (laughs) 
But she quickly downgrades to building a regeneration zone. Shops, pubs, gyms, that kind of thing. High-end stuff. Gary tells him that without the factory, Ray has nothing. So he'll sell it to him for 450000 And Ray is staggered, which is amusing because he offered 400000 on Wednesday. Right. Four hundred and fifty, and he wants the contract to do the groundwork, says Gary. He doesn't give a fuck about Coronation Street anymore, and Ray can bulldoze it for all he cares, so long as Gary can be the one to do the driving. Do we have a deal? And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes, because... <laughs> just... Sarah be and Jenny being mean to him and Eileen wanting to protect her son means he's going to take the livelihood of the mother of his child away and the barbers away from Maria, who he supposedly loves now. I just... <laughs> the barbers? Right, because the barbers is on the street too, yes? That's going to get all bulldozed. Yeah, but it doesn't like he's offering to buy that up quite yet. No, but he... Gary must know that eventually he's, he's Gary must Gary knows that he's behind the flyers. So he knows that he's trying to buy up all of the street. Mm-hmm. If he's trying to buy up all of the street, wouldn't that include the barbers as well? Or even if it didn't include the barbers, because I know that's a little bit further afield, that and would include Coronation Street, yeah. Yeah, it would include the salon where Maria has a share that she hasn't sold yet and where she makes part of her livelihood. A skyscraper? It was joking there, right? That was... They didn't really mean a skyscraper. It's not going to be a skyscraper. I don't know what Manchester really looks like, so I don't know. Are there skyscrapers in Manchester? Well, what do you define a skyscraper to be? Like a skyscraper, like the ones in Detroit. How many floors? A lot. That you have to look up at. That scrapes the sky. Well, you look up at... Eight. Is eight a skyscraper? Or is fifty a skyscraper? Well fifty is definitely a skyscraper. Is thirty a skyscraper? Yes. Is twenty? Yes. Anything over ten, I think. I don't know. And and aren't there lots of laws and stuff about this in the UK? I don't know if there's laws because there regulations I would have thought. Because, I mean it's there aren't an awful lot of skyscrapers in the UK, are there? Except maybe in London. London. And even London. I've seen pictures of London. You know, most of the most of the buildings in London aren't skyscrapers. It'll be thirties and forties and fifties, I would have thought in London. Yeah. But it's not like New York not or even Detroit or Chicago, as far as lots of big huge skyscrapers all over the place blocking out the sun. No. Glasgow doesn't really have many. Mm-mm. Any. No. In fact that the 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 cinema's probably the biggest one I can think of off the, the top of my head. That's pretty tall. Not really an awful lot in Edinburgh either. No, it's old buildings in Edinburgh. Right. But yeah. I just, just There'll be some tall buildings, whether you would call them skyscrapers yeah. or not, I'm not sure. And the whole idea of buying up this whole street and bulldozing it and and building like high end shops and new flashy buildings during a pandemic. No, it can probably wait. Well, still. Timbot four thousand says this does not compute. Thank yeah, you. Okay. Yeah, that 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 covers all of it. Because even if even after the pandemic, finances aren't going to be the same, and most people are moving out of cities right now because they've realized that living on top of other people for a lot of money, when you can have your own property for significantly less, 
is a good idea. A regeneration zone makes more sense. Building a little kind of village of nice shops and bars and gyms and patisseries and things like that. I can see that. Not a skyscraper, though. I don't know. The whole thing just seems rubbish. And I mean, obviously... I spat out my teeth when he said skyscraper. I have to... What? And I mean, obviously it's not going to happen because then there would be no show. No. No, clearly. (laughs) Coronation Tower? No. I don't think that's going to be a thing. Uh, No. What was your moment of the week? Uh, (laughs) Struggling. uh, What was your moment of the week? I don't think I have one. We've got to find something. Uh... Okay, let's go through the storyline, shall we? Was it in the Shona storyline? No. No. Was it in the Todd storyline? <laughs> no. no. Um, um, Sarah and Sarah and and um and um Nina and what's her name? I don't think it's even worth finishing that thought there's no way in the world that's the moment yeah. <laughs> well it was the only moment of joy they got this big thing and they're all they're not all drinking but they're all like in the back and they're together and they're happy Arthur and Evelyn no no uh, Paul's helpline thing no. no Scott and Jenny and Johnny no no, no. There is no moment of the week. No, it's 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 Sarah and the girls <sighs> getting wired into the wine in the back of the rovers. It's all we've got. That's, then it's not worth it. No, it is. We've got to have some moment of the week. We've had more rubbish weeks than this. Mm. <sighs> I'm not giving it to that. No, come on. Because, no. um, Nina, Nina talking Evelyn into having sex with Arthur. <laughs> Which is essentially what she's... Yeah, let's let's do that. Nina and Evelyn. Because no. that was nice. And Nina was right. Nina is such the voice of reason in this show. That's my moment of the week. Nina and Evelyn. Come on. You know you want to. I really don't. It's all that we have. There have been weeks where we have had a moment of the week, which is a small thing that doesn't really seem I like can't it think of much anything, consequence. Like anything that's Georgian. been tougher than this week. It was a tough week. Nina and Evelyn, that's our... Moment of the week! Moment of the week. I'm doing it under protest. <laughs> Boring moment of the week? Uh, I had uh, just the whole Billy Bishop stuff. Yeah. That's our... Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Come on, Coronation Street. We can do better than this. Seriously. If we're going to spend like the best part of two hours talking about stuff that's almost like 70% focused on Coronation Street, then it really should be more entertaining. Yeah. Uh, 
If you've ever got a call from a fucking bishop or something to be get a promotion in a new house, I don't know. I don't think I care anymore. Drop us a line at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com. That's how you can get in touch with us on email. You can also uh, use that address to leave us a voicemail on Skype or to drop us a couple of nuggets into our virtual tip chart on PayPal. We are at Cory Podcast on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And if you're off the inclination, but not based on this week, please feel free to leave a written in a review on the iTunes or podcast or whatever it's called. And we have a merch store that you can find in the bio of our Twitter page. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Bye. Bye-bye.